I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Out of John 4, 24, then Psalm 100, then Psalm 150. Psalm 100, Psalm 150, and then, of course, the uh, focus is going to be John 4, 24. For God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. Psalm 100 says this. He says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Do you see this? Serve the Lord with gladness. You get the gladness and you're naturally going to come into his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. God's truth never changes. The truth 2,000 years ago is still the truth today. The truth 50 years ago is still the truth today. Still the truth. Psalm 150. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now, I want you to, uh, before I go any further with this, I want, to, I want to enlighten you on something which I probably will come back to just a little later. When you see the word praise, you see the word praise, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. What they, what they did with this word when they, uh, they, they used the word praise in the original Hebrew and the Greek has more than just one meaning. In fact, you'll see the word is used to define. When they defined it, they didn't define it exactly the way that it is uh, it's meant to be. Sometimes the word praise, when we'll come back to it, can mean a certain matter, manner of praise. And then another word will be a different manner of praise. So when you see the word praise, it's more than just praise. It's a certain way of praising. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and the organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Turn and shake someone's hand and tell him you're glad you're here this morning. Glad you're here, brother. Good looking, just good looking. Nice green shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's. Have you ever have you ever done something that you do it because it's expected out of it? It's not necessarily wrong sin, anything like this, but it's what everybody else does, what everybody else says. And you just kind of follow suit with it because that's just what everybody does. Well, the term worship service is sometimes relegated to uh, 20, 30 minutes, 45 minutes at the beginning of service. And then it changes. We call them, I used to have testimony service, preaching service. Can I tell you that I'm not so sure about all this? That really, I'll use the term, it's not sinful, but isn't the whole service worship service? That doesn't mean, what we're saying then is that if a person has a testimony, that's not worship. And that's not true. If a person gives any offering, that's not worship. That's not true. It is worship. And preaching is also worship. Am I right? Anybody disagree, agree? Good. I'm glad you don't disagree with me. Hallelujah. don't want to give you too much chance. So, you know, it, it's, 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 I, I believe that the whole service is truly a worship service. Kind of look at, uh, I, I'm one of the uh, a great analogy of this, as far as I'm concerned, is the high priest Aaron, when he was anointed with holy oil, it said that ran off his beard and dripped unto his garments. Wherever he walked... The aroma of the ointment permeated the air. 
And likewise, the fragrance of the Holy Ghost should linger wherever we go. So wherever we go, people should see a form of worship in us. Wherever we are, there should be a fragrance of the Holy Ghost that emanates from us, that, that, that brings people into the presence of God. That's what worship is about. You know, there's forms of it and different things that we do, and we're going to talk about that. But, but regardless, our disposition, the way we treat the, the wait staff, the grocery clerks, the, the, and, and the way that we participate in, in our Pentecostal church services, our, our private devotions, the deeds we do, our appearance, our lifestyle, all of these should perfume our lives and leave a pleasing smell with everyone with whom we're in contact with. And that is worship. That is worship. So let's live our lives always and bring glory and honor to God. And our worship service should be more than just 20 minutes or a half hour or whatever we do of worship courses. And it should be more than just a few loud hallelujahs and a clapping of hands and exuberance. Our worship service should be our entire life. Our worship service should be from the time that God filled us with the Holy Ghost until the time they carry us down here in a casket or the rapture of the church takes place. It should be a one life of worship. Not anything. I, you know, listen to me. Listen to me. We, we, don't, we, we, don't, we don't just stop worshiping God when we walk out of here. We don't stop and leave everything in the church. Everything we do should be about Him, and that is worship. Every word that I say should be, should be somehow salted with salt, is how the Bible says. Everything should be about Jesus Christ. When we do that, we will find joy in our lives. We will no longer have the depression that seems to get us not just this time of year, but all the way around. God, help us to not be that way. God, help us to realize that Jesus can pull us out regardless of how low we go go that jesus can guide us by the in the pathways of life regardless of what comes at us from one side or the other let jesus be the central portion of everything we do whether we're in the church whether we're on the job whether we're in the car jesus is the central portion give him a hand clap like we're apostolic worship is the heart of who we are it's the true heart of who we are. The, the Creator placed this innate inclination, if you would, deep within us and deep within our being. And though it's not always understood, it's always recognizable. We don't always understand why we feel the way we do when we're filled with the Holy Ghost. But we recognize it. We recognize the presence of God. It keeps us joyful and when we're not joyful then something is wrong with our relationship and so we go and try to find that place which i've, I've said before when i find things are not working right in my life i backpedal i try to go back you know i'm, I'm going this way you see now somewhere along between here i start right here I got joy here and I begin to walk. I got to here, and something happens. I lose it. And so I take a few more steps, and I think, why isn't it here? So what do I do? I go back. I tried to do the moonwalk, but it won't work. <laughs> and I see, ah, this is where I lost it. Forgive me for being upset with you because you weren't at church last Sunday night. Okay. <laughs> he forgives me, get my joy back, and I can go on. You see what I'm saying? That's all part of worship. Worship is the ability for us to make things right and to find that joy again. And we'll get into the rest of the demonstrative, but it's, it's being able to find it and, and, and get everything right so the joy comes back. You know, Morning endureth for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. <clears throat> that, that is also a part of finding worship. There is a time for all this. All right, so moving on. In the tendency to, uh, because the very fact that we, we have an inclination to worship, uh, the tendency to hold someone or something in awe is universal. Humans are, are prone to gravitate toward a deity of some sort, whether fully conscious of it or not. And if we fail to know or accept the one true God, we invariably will accept a false deity of one type or another. 
Individuals who reject the worship of God will endeavor to create their own deity and often end up worshiping a false deity. And whether they want to say it or not, that's exactly the way we're made. Human beings are going to worship something. That's just a fact. And so we, so we have to find the right thing to worship. And, and, and taking that a little bit further, secular humanism, which places man at the center of the universe and rejects God totally and categorically, is perhaps the embodiment of many errors found in every form of idolatry. In some schools of thought, humanists worship Satan himself. Now, now follow me when I say this. For to embrace and propagate a lie is to glorify the father of lies. Lucifer. So anytime that a person embraces a lie and they begin to work in, in, in the category of that lie, then they begin to embrace the father of lies. Because lies continue to propagate more lies and more lies and more lies. So in essence, what you're doing is you're worshiping Lucifer because he is the father of all lies. So this is, this is what happens when, when a person begins to get in error. They begin to go that direction. And if one worships a create, the creature rather than the creator, he follows the dictates of the devil. Secular humanism falls into each of these pits of deception. Deception in itself is diabolical. It is the product of the devil. Desiring, and in fact, desiring to worship. Satan will do anything he possibly can to get you to worship him. Because he wanted that from the beginning. That's why he fell. He wanted the worship that only belongs to Jesus Christ. So anytime we embrace any kind of a lie, we begin to worship the creature. When I say the creature, I'm talking about not some kind of, uh, you know, not some kind of totem pole that's got a, a, an alligator on it. I, I'm talking about people. When you worship the creature, and, and, and oh Lord, we've got so much of that. You've got it in, and, and I know you probably get tired of hearing this, but you've got it in sports stars. You've got it in, in people who write songs or sing songs or, you know, craziest things that you ever see. There's names out there I never, I'll never will hear about. I don't know what they are. But people go crazy about them. And I remember that when I was young. It was the Beatles. Never did like those guys. Never did like them. Now, there's others that I kind of liked. Waylon Jennings. <laughs> Most people don't even know who Waylon Jennings is. Now, Doug does. He knows exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, they, they, you, get people, you get people who, who set him on a pedestal and they begin to worship the creature more than the creator. So when we admire the talents or skills of individuals, we, may, we, must be, we have to be cautious never to think more highly of them than is appropriate. Now, when I say that, you know, we think that it's fine. You know, I talked about people outside the church, but you, you have the same thing with, with well-known preachers within the church. You get people who follow after these men, and whatever they do, wherever they go, this is where they wind up. Now, sometimes they say this, well, this guy's got a healing ministry, and I'm going to keep following him around until I finally get healed. Well, if you got keep following him around from one service to the other and you've not got healed yet, then maybe you just better give it up and, and, and try something else. Because what you're doing is God's not going to heal you because what you're doing is you're looking to that man to do something that only Jesus Christ himself can do, and he can do it by the hands of anybody. So we have to, we have to be cautious when we come to that. And there's nothing wrong with admiring people, but there, there is a line of where we begin to, to worship that person. And uh, you, know, you tell some people that you're worshiping a particular preacher and they would just, you know, they go crazy, but yet their actions betray them. And that's what you have to you'd be so cautious about. If an individual is anything, now think about this. If an individual is anything or that individual accomplishes anything, it's because he is the work of the Creator made in the very image of God. We always must keep human achievements in proper perspective. Further, we are to reserve worship for the adoration of the one true God. One true God. His name is not Muhammad. His name is not Confucius or Buddha or the Baha'i Ula. Didn't think I knew that one, did you? It's not them. His name is Jesus. 
And he is the one who purchased us with his own blood. He is the one true God that came down from heaven, the incarnation that came down from heaven. Are you with me? And he loves us so much that he died for us. That is the one true God. God is our creator, and we're not the product of some kind of accident. I'm not the product of a prehistoric cataclysmic event. (laughs) Some people are cataclysmic enough, you wonder, but, you know, it's not some kind of collision. We're not the outgrowth of some kind of single-cell amoebas rendered useful by the process of evolution. We are God's children. Made in his image, the work of his hands, and he's still working on us. Has anybody reached perfection yet? And if you do, I would like to shake your hand. I'm not going to worship you, but I would like to shake your hand. Have you reached perfection? Now, I'm perfect, but I'm not reached perfection. I'm perfect because the Bible says perfect is sincere. I'm sincere about what I'm doing, but I've not reached a state of perfection yet. So I am perfect in as much as I've got a perfect nature inside of me, and I'm sincere about serving God all the way through. But I am not reached a state of perfection yet. And some people, they think they've got it all. And, you know, when it comes right down to it, folks, I'm trying my best to live my, my best towards fulfilling everything the Bible wants me to do, but I still feel like sometimes I fall a little short. And so I keep working on it and working on it and working on it till I can find that just a little bit higher height, if you would, just a little bit more understanding and revelation. And that's what all of us need to be doing every day of our life, every day. The psalmist David (coughs) was so overwhelmed by the amazing idea that mankind would be given dominion over the entire work of God's hands. And, 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 you know, David was such a worshiper, such a, a lover of God, and he was so overwhelmed with this at, at the very thought uh, of what would, had happened, the very thought of what David was talking about. He broke forth into praise when he said, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And the, the contrast between mankind and the rest of the universe, all the psalmists, and he worshiped the Creator. And centuries later, with increased knowledge, of the vastness of the universe. We join David in praising God. But another realization ignites, I said it earlier, even greater measures of praise. And, and, and whenever you get to the point where this does not ignite something in your heart, then there's something wrong with you. He who stretched forth the heavens alone and spread abroad the earth by himself has become one with us through the incarnation, redeemed us by his sacrificial death on the cross, and the mere thought excites the soul to worship God. God loved me so much, and I'm sorry if I'm going re- rehashing this, But I'm telling you that it needs to ignite in us a desire to worship because if the God who created all things, the God who spread across the heavens all by Himself could love me enough to come down here and die for me, how could I not worship Him? How could I not shout? How could I not raise my hands in joy? How could I not? My Lord, that that alone, the Maker... Of mankind assumed the role of his creation. He took on himself our nature in order to impart to us his nature. He who hung the stars in space condescended to our estate through his death, burial, and resurrection. He made a way for mankind to become one with him through his indwelling Holy Spirit. The Creator takes up residence in the human heart and each of his born-again believers. He lives and reigns in our hearts and we need only look at the star-studded heavens and the wonders of nature around us to catch a glimpse of God's glory and His majesty. Then when we look honestly at ourselves and we realize afresh that what a miracle it is to have the Creator in our hearts. Moreover, we must not forget He's still working on us, molding us in His image that we might reflect Him to this darkened world. When we contemplate that God is the creator of all, He has become our salvation, worship begins to well up in our hearts and it overflows in uninhibited praise. Uninhibited praise. Because He's our creator. He's also good. Who among us can enumerate the ways and times we've been made increasingly aware of God's goodness? You can have everything jerked away from you. Every person that you love could walk away from you today, tomorrow. Your job could fold. 
your bank account, your million dollars you had in your bank account could all be taken by Obama to, for, his, for his next uh, election campaign and, uh, over in Islam nations, okay? <clears throat> all this could happen. But the thing is, you're sitting there right now with the knowledge that you have of God, filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, ready to go to heaven. And you should be the most grateful person on the face of the earth because God has been so good to you to show you what you have. You should be the most grateful person on the face of the earth. He is good. As David thought in specific terms of incidents in his personal walk with God, he broke into a song of praise when he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from violence in Second Samuel 22. And little wonder he declared the Lord worthy to be praised in Second Samuel 22.4. In his words of praise, you hear the protective... Now listen to this protective ring of what David had experienced himself because when he says god you have been my rock you have been my fortress you have been my deliverer you have been the horn of my salvation you have been the high tower you've been my refuge you've been my savior every one of those words had a history in his life when you can begin to praise God with uplifted hands and enumerate all these things, then there's a, there, there's a sense in you that, no, this is not what happened to Bob. This is not what happened to, to Brother Hill. This is not, this is what's happened to me. He's been my rock. He has been the one who is my high tower. He's lifted up my head when my head was dragging, if you would. He's been the one that has been with me and all of that area of protection I know about. That's why David was the worshiper he was. Oh, my Lord, my Lord. It's just when you think about these things. History in my life. God has done this. He has been all of this to me. Uh, the safety and security that you have. The memory of past victories assured him of, of secure future in God. Because he could enumerate all those victories, then he knew my future is going to be fine. And his future from that point had its ups and downs, but he still knew that in the long run he was going to be fine. Why? Because he's already taken me through all these other areas. Oh, don't ever forget what he's brought you out of. Don't ever forget. Write you a book. Write you something. Write it down and go back and read it. That's what I do. I got it in my office in there, and ever so often when things seem to be uh, just out of, out of sight, if you would, just completely out of hand, I go back and I read and I look at the date. This is what God did for me then. This is what He did for me then. Why would He do it then and not do it right now? Why would He, he do something back then? Uh, there's something in me that makes me know it's going to be okay. It may not be okay today. It may not be okay tomorrow. But it's going to be okay. And I'm going to have joy until I see the okay coming. Mm. Never forget God's goodness to us. We should often review specific incidents of His intervention, care for us, and, and, and reflect on His protection. When we relive the moments of, of daybreak from the dark hours of adversity and despair, you're going to break forth in a song of praise. That causes you to break forth. Why is it that you see some people that, can, that, that, that really get with it in the process of worship? You know, sometimes they go through things you would never, ever realize, and God has brought them out of one more. That's why they can be so exuberant in worship. And if you begin to think the same, way you may not be able to do the same kind of worship that they do maybe you're not as physical as what they are but on the other hand of it there's something that has to break forth out of you because you know what god has done for you and what he will do for you god provides for us he's our, our great provider and to accept by faith all that god has provided for us requires a grateful heart to fully realize that every good thing is the gift of his hand makes a grateful recipient of us all and such gratitude and appreciation will sweeten the disposition of any person. Furthermore, gratitude and appreciation are gates of access to God through which praise and worship reach Him. Grateful hearts are praising hearts. Now let's look at some of the expressions uh, of worship. Let's look at prayer and praise for a minute. Again, I've got a lot of stuff I could give you. I, I know it's impossible to do it all this morning, so I won't, but... Prayer and praise are, are complementary expressions. In fact, in the original language, prayer and praise is actually the same word. But 
there is a, a different form, a different thing that you do when you begin to pray. But they, so we use it in the sense of complementary expressions of worship. And, and one is incomplete without the other. Prayer, when wrapped in heartfelt praise, is adorned for the presence of deity. Prayer, cloaked in praise, finds immediate access to the throne of God. When a person begins, and you've heard it, I've taught on it, when you begin a prayer meeting with praise, when you, the first things that comes out of your mouth is the praise to, to, to the Lord who has done so much for you, and you begin to praise Him, you begin to thank Him, you begin to lift Him up, you raise hands, you might even dance, you might, you know, you, you might even clap your hands, and you're all by yourself, but you're praising God. Then, from that point, whatever petitions that you have to bring to God is wrapped it's gift-wrapped in that praise. You've gift-wrapped it. And guess what? There's not too many of you that will turn down something that is gift-wrapped that's put in your hand. If I had a gift and I give it to Roxanne, and it was a box great big and great big like this, you would just, you would wonder. You couldn't, I say, you can't open this to you take it home. You'd be going crazy all the time. You wouldn't even pay attention to me during the whole rest of the service, and I would have a great long service just because of that. And when you got home, you would tear into it and find out that I bought you a new Mini Cooper. <laughs> and, you know, you, you would tear you, you, you would want. That's how God, look, He wants to tear into that prayer and see what's there, what's being said, because you've gift-wrapped it for Him in praise. <laughs> well, you know, we ought to come tonight and really have a good praise service. Huh? In fact, I don't care if you do it right now. Yeah, it bought me a lick. So, you know, it, it, someone observed that prayer is not overcoming the reluctance of God. This is what some people think about prayer. It's not overcoming the reluctance of God. It is laying hold on His highest willingness. You, you get that. What you're trying to do here is you're trying to get yourself to understand that the highest willingness of God is to answer your prayer. You're not trying to overcome his reluctance to answer. You're trying to tap in his willingness to answer. Now, to saturate a petition with submission to his will and adorn it with sincere praise is to lay hold on the promises of God. We need to practice this kind of praying. Why whine and complain in the face of such grace that we've experienced? Why do we need to whine and complain about it? We need to wrap it the right way. No circumstance of life justifies a prayer of ingratitude or pride. When genuine praise permeates prayer, the most awkwardly worded petition takes on the true and beautiful sound of worship. The feeblest phraseology becomes eloquent in the ear of our God. Our hearts should be filled with prayer and praise continuously. All the time. That's prayer and praise. Let's look at the next one. Let's look at singing. Now, the Bible says we need to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I know that. The Sunday school, next week we're going to have, because we're getting everything ready downstairs, we're having this Sunday morning service. It's going to be the kids going to be upstairs. And they have a song, It's Real, they want to sing. So they wanted me to do the verses. Now, I'm not a joyful noise unto the Lord. But my heart's in the right place. So I'll either speak them, talk them, I'll change them as I go around, because I love doing that. And the kids are going to back me up with the course. In fact, they may need more help. I may have to get some other people to help them with the course. And, and uh, something else, we've got to get your mom here or somebody to cover my mistakes. Your mom has done this with me before, so you be sure you spend the night. Oh, you do spend the night there. Okay, so you, you be sure that you get her up early enough to get here and to be ready because I need a lot of help. But you, you, the thing is that even sometimes in bad singing, when you touch the anointing, it still feels good. And it still does something. And that's, that's the important thing. You know, we, 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 when we sing, singing so impresses the, the heart that the songs we sing also affect our lives. Are, are you with me? And this is where we have to be careful. Singing, when I hear some of our, our, 
our group sing, our praise singers, a choir. It so, it so touches my heart that it makes a difference. In fact, in fact, it was Elisha who said that he couldn't even prophesy unless he had a minstrel. He had to have something there to bring him into that place, into that right atmosphere with God. Singing and songs do that. But it can also bring you into the wrong atmosphere if you listen to the wrong songs. And you have to, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting that back, uh, back in the 80s, even the late 70s, 80s, they were talking about backmasking songs. Now they don't even worry about that because everything is said right out front. You know, some of the things that you hear and some that's brought through is, is terrible. And what it does is produces essential nature within you. It causes you to want things you shouldn't want. So, so songs and singing and what you listen to, please be careful because uh, songs and music that are not spiritual can affect you in such uh, in a terrible way. And they can be very spiritually detrimental. And such songs prove to be negative and destructive to spiritual life and development. You know, if I want to develop into something more, I have to be careful of what I, I put into me. It will arrest my development, if you would. It will completely destroy it. And then let's look at the next one, giving. Of course, we want, to, we want to do all we can for God. That, that's, all of us should want that. We want to give to his cause in order to extend his kingdom. Yet it is not, um, it, it, it is not he... You know, it, when you think about this, let me, let me get to this. Is it not he who provides everything for us? And this is how we think. Is it not he that does this? And he does. He provides all of our needs according to his riches and glory. In a sense, he takes care of that, and he needs nothing. But rather, he is our provider. And however God allows us, and this is the great thing, he allows us to give back to him and his cause. He even commands it. Still, it's not for his sake he requires our giving. Rather, it is for our sake that he, he wants us to give. If he did not provide a means for us to share his blessings with others, we would lose our capacity to love. Whenever a person is too tight to give, that person is losing their capacity to love. And that you need to, you definitely need to put in your pocket and take home with you. We're truly blessed that God loves us enough to share with us. And the joy of giving is, is one of those. And perhaps one of the greatest provisions God has given us exists in the blessings he has placed on our giving back to him. His designated portion, the tithe, or one-tenth of all our increase. The tithe already belongs to God. And when you keep and hold back the tithe, you're robbing God. We just return it to Him as, as its rightful owner. And beyond the tithe, which belongs to God, we can give free will offerings from our heart. We receive the privilege of giving from God Himself. God so loved the world that He gave in John 3.16. And as we've opened our hearts to receive his, his bountiful gifts, we now express true worship when we share with Him through the joy of giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 8. I think you have that there. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 8. Uh, there are also avenues of service that we may provide through programs, projects of the church, Cheerful givers, whether of time or of finance, reflect the love of God that has been shed abroad in their hearts by the Holy Ghost. And as we faithfully support the efforts of the church to evangelize the world, we reflect the love of Jesus Christ. We're acting out in the realm of life what is taught in the pages of Scripture. By this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purpose in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. There's always a promise with giving. Absolutely always will be a promise with giving, and, and you can see it here. All right, let's go to the next one. Let's look at preaching. Every active member of the body of Christ preaches the gospel. Now, I believe you can preach them in teaching home Bible studies, testimony, various uh, aspects like this. That, that's part of it. But it even, even goes further than that. In fact, it goes much further than that. He proclaims the truth as he supports the ministry of the church. By fulfilling his individual responsibilities, each member is a effect, in effect, rather, preaches the gospel of our Lord Jesus. In Mark 16, 15 through 20, I probably won't read it, but she, she'll show it uh, behind me here. Preaching requires both a dedicated minister 
and a loyal, faithful congregation if it is to fulfill its full purpose. Since it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe, 1 Corinthians one twenty one. it is the duty of every believer to maintain that ministry. So it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It pleased Him. There's a little more Christ-honoring than a unified church that lifts Him up through the preached Word of God. Now let's look. These are things that are near and dear to my heart. When a person pulls in that driveway, they need to see a neat, well-kept building landscape properly. My wife is great at that, thank God. They need to see that. They need to walk in the doors, and they need to see an usher that shakes their hand and makes them feel welcome. And that usher also, I think, is the first line of defense against any unclean spirits that would try to come in. Now, I said spirits, not people. There's a difference. Then they come to these doors, and they should see greeters. Then when they walk through these doors, they sit down in a pew, and we, the church, should overcome them with shaking of hands, lining up. And I don't care whether I've seen it, and if you've been in church any length of time, you're going to have somebody that comes in, and they, they, they look at you like they're going, you're going to break their head or they're going to break yours. Jericho's that way. You know, I first seen her, I thought she was going to whoop me. No, <laughs> That's the first line. Of, uh, it, it, you know, they, they said we're overcoming them. And even though they look at you, they don't know what to think. You know, that, these people have never been to Pentecostal church. They've heard stories. They think that I'm going to come up and pull a snake out of my pocket. There have been a few times I've been tempted to. It wouldn't bother me, you know. <laughs> but that's what they think. And, you know, and we're going we're gonna to overcome that by loving them. And we're going to shake their hands and tell them how welcome they are. And when they walk away from here, they're going to know, whether they return or not, they're going to know that we're a friendly church. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. And that's, that's, that's part of preaching. You preach a message when you do what I just said. You are preaching a message. You know, you've got to have a, the, the dedication. Then there's, a little more, there's a little more Christ honoring than a unified church that lifts him up through the preached word of God. And a, a neat, again, well-kept building bespeaks a love for, uh, for the truth proclaimed there. Friendly greetings does all of this. And further, when the word of God is preached with both clarity and charity, the message of the pulpit becomes the life pattern for the pew. Nothing glorifies God more than lives lived in accordance with his word. Such a congregation will grow both inwardly and outwardly. When believers worship and praise God, for his holy word, it reduces the regions of hell to terror and utter confusion. And such an atmosphere will cause the lost to acknowledge the truth of God's word. It edifies the believers and glorifies God. Further preaching serves to keep all other expressions of worship in their true perspective. So other expressions. Preaching keeps everything in perspective. Now, let's look at one form. And this is, uh, again, I've got some extra notes that I added to this. We get to them, but we're going we're gonna to talk about dancing. And a lot of people, they, they don't quite understand all of it. And that actually when people run the aisles, they're dancing. Because one of the words for that means to run in a circle. And we've seen it down here. We've seen it in, in revivals. It hasn't happened much in, lately. But you've seen a person before. I've seen people they get so happy. One person stands and someone wearing circles around. It's the same way with running a circle around the whole congregation. That is a form of worship that is actually spoken of. And I'll, I'll get to that uh, in, in the Scripture if we can get any further. So you know, we have to consider each expression of worship as a part of the whole. Everything is a part of the whole. Everything we do. Not everybody will dance, not everybody's able to. But it is a part of the whole. You, you see that. It's just as necessary as someone raising their hands or clapping their hands. It's just as necessary. It's a part of the whole. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, dancing before the Lord is a demonstrative expression of worship, and it does not constitute, again, the whole of worship, but it definitely honors God. 2 Samuel 6.14. 2 Samuel 6.14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. Okay? There are times 
when the joy that initiates praise is so overwhelming that dancing becomes quite appropriate. Victory after great struggle often lifts the emotions to such a level that the joyful worshiper breaks into a dance. And maybe this liberty, and, and may, let me just say this, may this liberty never, ever be restrained or hampered. You hear me? It never needs to be restrained or hampered. Now, I'm just going to go a little deeper into it. Um, I, I know I didn't give you this to get, but would you uh, get me Ecclesiastes 3, verse 4, and kind of keep it there for me? Ecclesiastes 3, verse 4. My goodness, you're quick. Time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Now, leave that there just for a moment. The best dancing, if you would, now, we call this dancing in the... It's, it's a Pentecostal phrase, is dancing in the Spirit. There's no place in the Bible that's ever referred to. It's not there. Okay? But that's a Pentecostal phrase. But a time to weep. But the best dancing will be done after a time of deep repair, mourning. There's a time for a person to go into mourning for the lost, for us to pray, to intercede. And then normally when a person is an intercessor, that person is also a dancer. Because it brings out, there's a sense of victory that comes with this, and, and people dance as a result of it. Now, there is, is a victory in dancing, and a lot of people miss out on. There's a time to dance that the Bible lays in the scriptural guideline to when to dance. It's not a dance where you knock everybody down, but it could be right in place where you stand. I mean, when a person dances, they can, they're dancing in the front. I've seen people stay in one place. I know it's difficult to dance on this floor. But there is a time for it. And when a person is victorious, when everything is right, then that's when you dance. That's when you dance. Some churches just gather together to shout and dance. There are some, that's all they do. There's no prayer. There's no soul winning. Then there are those that gather together and they don't pray and they don't win souls, don't shout or dance, don't do anything. You have both kinds. For everything, there is a season and a purpose. There's a time for it all. We must weep and mourn and pray before we dance and if we want our dancing to be effective. Because you see, I don't think some I don't think dancing is just a matter of just dancing to show a personal victory. I think it's giving a victory for the whole church. For everybody. I mean a lot of times we do it individually because we feel victory. But let, let, let me let me let me give you this. In everything that I'm saying and I don't, I don't think it happens much anymore. But some people say, well, I, I won't dance or I won't clap my hands or I won't shout or I won't run or I won't leap unless God tells me to. And, and I understand that completely because, you know, my wife comes to me and she said, Rick, will you tell me you love me? I mean, she's really going to get something great out of that if I tell her I love her right after she told me to tell her I loved her. I don't. I, I sweep into the room and say, darling, I love you. Let's dance. <laughs> you do that, don't you? <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying here? God does not tell us to tell him that we love him. That's what the dance, that's what worship is about. Worship comes from the word worth it. Is Jesus worth it? Is that really, does it really have to be that difficult? I've heard it. Well, God didn't tell me to. And I've, I don't, don't do that to me. Because I tell you, well, I bet you didn't, you know, did your wife tell you that you, to tell you you loved her or, you know, vice versa? We do it because he's worth it. That's why God is spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. What is spirit and in truth? Truth is the Word of God. It's appropriate within the Word of God to worship. In spirit, if I am following the Word of God, and we're going to come to that, and I probably won't get through it, but I want to get touch on it now. In spirit, when we come to God and I am obeying truth, 
and my spirit is right. I have, I have prayed. I've had a good prayer life. I have wept. I have, I've sought God. I've, I've been a witness. I have got a right to let God know, I love you, Jesus. You gave me the opportunity to do something for your kingdom, and I'm going to express it with all that I am, my whole body. That's what dancing is. Because you feel victory. Sometimes, sometimes it's a matter of I've just witnessed someone or, or just taught a Bible study or whatever it may be that I have just done. And I come to into a service and I'm worshiping God because it's a faith issue. I'm believing God is going to take that word that I just put in their hearts and do something with it. I know that everybody, not all of us, you know, we all think, everybody, when they dance, they think they look stupid. I, I seen a bunch of preachers one time. Where was I? It was one of them. Uh, I think it was, it was out, I don't know, it was out in Maryland. One of these places, one of these seminars that I went to. And these were a bunch of the old-time apostolic preachers. Most of them are dead now. They got up on the platform, and they all put their arms around each other, stood in the line. It was a chorus line. And they did the... Uh, the uh, Cossack dance, you know, long, <laughs> and they did, and you know what, they, I mean, everybody else was worshiping too, but I couldn't help it, you know, it, it, it didn't, wasn't funny to me, it was great, it was great that they could, you know, lock together, it was a sense of unity and purpose that they had that was so great because they were, they were unified, and, and dancing this, this, this dance like that, and, and you know, that there is, there's a time, and there's such a, I wish I could tell you. I wish I, wish I expressed it. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's such a liberty, such a, a feeling of God's going to take care of everything when I, I get the freedom. And I, can, I used to be able to do that when I could run. I felt the same thing. And running was a part of that. That's a part of what is defined as the dance. And so, so you, 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 when you do that, there's such a, a feeling, such a wonderful thing. Psalm 30, 11 through 12 speaks, David danced as he mourned and travailed. Empty dancing comes from a life that has no sacrifice or no prayer, and it is empty. Psalm 149.3 says you praise His name in the dance. You can even have your eyes open when you dance. You don't have to dance with your eyes closed and kick somebody. It's not necessary. You can even look up or around when you dance. You can say, I've prayed for people today. I've travailed for situations that need God's attention, so I'm going to dance. Now, that's just the way it should be. Give Him a hand clap of praise. I think we need to. Uh, you know, the story in, in Luke fifteen twenty four through 25 of, of the prodigal son. Someone, you know, when someone is being baptized or receiving the Holy Ghost or a backslider is being reclaimed, we should be merry. We should be rejoicing with the dance in honor of the king. The prodigal son is a great example of what I'm saying. He was brought back and everything. There was great victory and merriment in the house as a result of one that came back that was once was dead, was dead to them. And so he came back. We still should have that kind of joy. If you want to see true revival going, we've had that before. I've not seen it as much recently, but when a new, when a backslider comes back or a new person comes back, we need to rejoice just the way that we should. As I mean, because this person was dead and now they're alive. You know, in, in 2 Samuel 6.13, the passage parallels 1 Chronicles 15. There's something in, uh, important, uh, or, excuse me, there's an uh, important note that they, they went. And, and this, is, this is speaking of as the ark was brought back into, into Jerusalem. And, and this, is, this is something that I've always, I've preached on it many times. But it's important to note that they went six paces. They went six paces and they sacrificed and then they, David danced before the Lord. Six paces. Six is man's number. When you have gone as far as you can, as far as you can, that's where the sacrifice and the dance becomes. You, you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that there is a time for you to dance when you've done everything that you could possibly do that you can't do anymore. The situation is in God's hands, so what do you do? That seventh step, you sacrifice and you begin to dance with all of your might. Because I'm believing God is going to meet this need and there is nothing for me to do but just glorify Him with everything that I am. Oh, 
When you've taken a situation as far as you can, take it, build an altar, offer up a sacrifice, then dance. And if you have lost the anointing to dance, then you have lost your desire to sacrifice. Got that? Don't ever lose it. I know not everybody can dance. And don't you dare sit back there and judge somebody because they can't. I guarantee you one thing. I've watched some of these people run these aisles, and there's everything that's within me is right there with them. I remember one of the last things that, 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 that I did or did for, I wasn't pastoring at the time, was in the uh, old sanctuary, and the elder brother May was a runner. I, when I came in church, I was a runner. I was a runner for a long time. But he was, he was there, and he came over to me. I had just run, and he, he came over to me, and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, would you run with me? I don't know how old he was. He might have been in his 80s. It was something of that nature. And we did the best we could. It wasn't as big as this one, so it wasn't so far to run. And we went around there, and he just he got back in his pew, and he just wept. And that was the last time he made it to church. He died shortly thereafter. And I thought, what if I had been one of those that had said no? You never should have to explain away your worship. You know, and I had that happen to me once as well. Um, and, you know, I was new and vibrant, and I thought everybody was perfect. It's a shame that you have to find out the people in the church are still people. <laughs> and uh, we were having a... I, just, I won't say anymore. It was something special at the church that I never do. And um, I ran. And a man had to get up and explain, because there was a bunch of visitors there, why I ran. And, you know, I, I guess that's not necessarily wrong to say it in the right way. But to me, I didn't have to explain. I felt like doing what I did. And it brought in the presence of God to something that was dead and formal. Sorry, but that's just the way it was. I don't want us to become one of them who tries to explain away or, uh, you know, out of respect to the, to the church, we don't do anything. I'm not a denomination. When this church, if this church would ever get to the point where we don't have worshipers in it, then I, I, I can't attend. I might as well go to the Baptist church down the road. Go to the Catholic church, they might do more. When we can't express ourselves... When it becomes out of, uh, you know, we, we don't do this. We're all Pentecost. We don't want people to think we're holy rollers. I want people to know that I'm a holy roller. I'm a holy runner. I'm a holy jumper. I'm a holy dancer. I can't do it as much, but I expect somebody else to do it for me because I can't. When you are too formal... To get out and do something for God, you're too formal. You're not in the right place. I give my life and my soul and my spirit to Jesus Christ. He filled me with the Holy Ghost. Why wouldn't I acknowledge Him in every way and every opportunity that I have? I had a preacher one time, a young man. He hadn't. He's pastoring now, but um, he... He was not from around here. And he, he asked me, he said, he said, you know, we always were great worshiping church, and he loved to come here. But he, he said, do you think that, that being over the top with worship would stop people from coming? And I answered him this way, and I, I don't mean this in a negative way, but I said, if people do not like what they see when they come to this church, then they need to go somewhere else. And I said, the great thing about Bloomington, you have about 40 different varieties. And, and I, I'm serious. When they come in, our worship is what's going to bring in the presence of God. God inhabits the praises of his people. That's what's going to bring in. The, if they come in just because they like me or because I'm good looking, because I don't look my age and all these other things, then they're worshiping me. They're not worshiping God. They're going, to, they're going to love. They're going to love Jesus Christ when they come into this church. And part of that is expressing ourselves the way that we need to express ourselves.
sacrifices of God, Psalms 149.8, are a broken spirit, broken and contrite heart. No, that's not, I'm sorry, that's wrong. That's not that scripture. Psalm 149.8 is when you dance. Actually, um, get me the 149th Psalm. Would you do that? And I just want to read down through it. 149th. I know I've not got through everything, but this is as far as I'm, I'm probably going to go. I want to read this to you. Praise you the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Next verse. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name. Look at this. In the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the temple harp. So we got the dance, we got singing, and we got music. Okay? For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people, and he will beautify the meek with salvation. So we see in the, in the, the, the salvation comes as a result of those things. Go on. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud. We say sing again upon their beds. In other words, when they go home, let them continue to worship. Go on. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword. The scripture should be in their hand. Truth and the high praises of God in their mouth. Spirit. Go on. To execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people. This does this tears the devil up when, when a church is unified in their worship. Go on. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. This is the king of the heathens. This is Satan himself. We bind him. There's two ways that you bind the devil. Fasting and worship. That's the two ways to bind the devil. You bind him up and he will do everything he can. And I have seen it through years. I've seen churches come and go with this. It becomes popular for a while. And then all of a sudden it's no longer popular. And so the church is just set and nothing happens. And they don't, they don't grow. They don't, they, don't, they don't, nothing happens in the church. And it becomes dead. That is not to happen. That will not and will not happen here. Absolutely will not happen here. We're going to continue to bind these demons if, 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 if the Tivoli Theater can have a medium come down there, and I think that was, I don't know if that's this weekend or this, they've been down there, and you can go in there and you can get your, or they can bring the dead back is what they said. But now, on their, their flyer, they did say that they couldn't guarantee that they could bring your loved one back to talk to you. If that kind of stuff is going to happen in our town, then we better be binding these things with chains of iron. The gay community can come in here and, can, and take over Spencer and everything good can be said about Spencer because we accept that, then there's something wrong. We need to bind some of the spirits. These people can be saved just like anybody else. Now, you understand that. Just like we were saved, they can be saved. But we're not going to acknowledge and say it's all right to live a certain kind of lifestyle that is contrary to the Word of God. My Lord, what's that? I should have preached tonight and so just left this alone. I should have done Let's look at let's look at some words here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some of these, and then I'm gonna uh, fold up camp. The word dance is used in direct reference to worshiping the Lord seven times: Psalms 30:11, Psalms 149:3, Psalm 154, Second Samuel 6:14 through 16, First Chronicles 15:29, and Exodus 15 and 20. The Hebrew word, excuse me, the Hebrew words used here are makol, M-A-C-H-O-L, which means dance or dancing. Karar, which is K-A-R-A-R, means to dance or to move around. And then the next one is roquad, R-O-Q-U-O-D, that means to dance or to skip. And then the next one is makola, which is dance or dancing. Now some Hebrew and Greek words cannot, or excuse me, some Hebrew or Greek words connote, rather not cannot, connote or imply a form of dance but are not translated as dance. Now, I'm going to give you some of those. In the Hebrew, gil, G-I-L, which is translated as praise in the, in the Scripture in the Hebrew, means to circle in joy and dance. It's used 29 times in the Bible. The next one is, I like this one, is pizzazz, P-A-Z-A-Z, and it means to leap. It's used one time. The next one is a latz, A-L-A-T-Z, leap. It's used five times. Sequaz, S-A-Q-A-Z. It means to play, play. That's pretty good, isn't it? To dance, four times. The next one, samak, 
And that is spontaneous emotion of extreme happiness expressed. Now look at this. Expressed in some visible external manner. It's used 150 times in Scripture. When it's decent and in order, you're not dancing your clothes off. Okay? Then it's right. And this says, again, spontaneous emotion of extreme happiness expressed in some visible external manner. Now let's look at the Greek. Chero, C-H-A-I-R-O, relates to the Hebrew word samach. So it's the same word used 150 times. It's in, in the Greek. And it's used in the Greek or in the New Testament 28 times. Skirtao, S-K-I-R-T-A-O, leap with joy three times. Elomai, A-L-L-O-M-A-I, leap one time. Charos, C-H, or Charos rather, C-H-O-R-O-S, circle, dancing one time. Agalio, A-G-A-L-L-I-O, leap ten times. So, we got Bible for what we do. And I'm going to keep living by what the Scripture says. If you choose to sit back and not do anything, that's your loss. But we're going to keep, we're going to keep this church moving forward. Stand with me. Let's give the Lord a hand clap as you stand. One of the things I miss was clapping of hands, and you do that when you're joyful. And again, everything is done decently in order, in the order of the service, of course, uh, and where you're not hurting someone, and we realize that. There's sometimes that people get so out of it, they dance a little crazy. Uh, I got hit one time real good coming down through here, and some lady was swinging her hand, wasn't you? You know, I said, <laughs> she was swinging her arms real good, and I don't need to say any more. I got hit, and that's enough. <laughs> And the thing is, I had to keep smiling as I walked up on the platform. But, uh, you know, I, I'll take a little of that over not having anything. Are you? <laughs> That's the important thing. Let's raise our hands to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. For your goodness, your mercy, we praise and honor and glorify you and everything that, God, that you are and that we are in you, Jesus. We praise you for your guiding hand. I pray, Lord, as they come tonight, they come with an attitude and a spirit of worship. Let them lift you up, Jesus, above all things. I ask now every day of their life in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, bless you. Go home praising God. Come back praising God.